Welcome to OKHR OK Leads, hosted by Tara Crowley and Rob Trotter. We are connecting with HR leaders in our community and actually worldwide um, and hearing their story and what makes them tick. Hi, Rob. Hello, Tara. How are you? Well, we are recording and it's still summer and 105 is amazing, but right. you know, some places are getting water and some people have drought. What's happening in your, where you are? Well, we got a little bit of rain the other day, so we were happy to happy to see that. But it's still, I would say, considered drought. It wasn't enough to undo the the drought deed there. But you know, just hanging in there for that stuff. I know, and you know, you keep hearing about Europe that they have had this mm. heat wave, and it's been amazing. And mm -hmm. so you have these normal locations like Hungary that should be sixty degrees right now, but it's been. 90 and they don't even have air conditioning can you imagine we live in oklahoma we have to have air conditioning oh my gosh i know and, you know i don't i don't know much about it and eventually you need to get somebody on here that knows more about the formula one stuff so that you can actually have a really good conversation with them besides me but weren't you supposed to go to hungary and watch yeah. a watch a formula one race there and yeah i was but my friends still went and they said it was amazing <laughs> So, but I also, we have a guest today that is, I'm so excited about because she has mm -hmm. a passion about Formula One, but really she has a passion about human resources. And so let me introduce you and our community to Gloria Sinclair Miller. All right. So, ta ta ta. Glory <laughs> is currently the director of, I'm saying of, Enterprise and Executive Membership Services for the Society for Human Resources Management. So, I'm going to refer to it as SHRM. Um, and Gloria, Gloria is an accomplished senior HR business executive with more than 20 years of successful global and domestic human resources leadership. Uh, she's worked in a variety of industries biopharma, retail, financial services, nonprofit, and um, Gloria has held leadership positions with the USO of Pennsylvania, which I'm very curious to hear about it, um, and Southern New Jersey, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Borders, TD Bank, and Rosenbluth International. And luckily, because Rob and I volunteer with OKHR and the State Council, we got to meet Gloria at this fat, this most recent state conference. And um, Gloria and I both found out that we are both Formula One fans. She's actually a bigger fan than me, but we have these great conversations. And so Formula One, yes, cars. And guess what? She likes a different team than I do. And that's okay. We still like each other. Um, but we're going to have a scrappy ride visiting about SHRM, HR, volunteers, and Formula One. So welcome, Miss Gloria Sinclair Miller. Welcome. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Rob. It is so exciting to be with the two of you. And I am I'm excited for this conversation. I know. So we, I remember first, not first, but I remember seeing you for a volunteer leadership uh, business meeting. That was last year in November, and it was online, but you were in a different role at that time. So what was that role, and, and tell us how that connects with volunteers for SHRM. Sure. So uh, in my career with SHRM, I'm in my third role, So, um, but always supporting membership and our volunteer leaders and our state council. So when you and I connected, I was in the divisional director role, okay. um, supporting the West 
Um, and that was after about two and a half years in the field services director role, where I supported probably too many states to count on the East Coast and in the Midwest um, during those two and a half years, but moved into the divisional director role, had a great opportunity to support um, the 20 or so states that make up the Western Division, um, that include huge states, um, including California and Texas, but of course, one of my favorite states now, because I had my first visit um, to Oklahoma when we met in person, so got to visit Oklahoma as well. So uh, definitely, you know, a great uh, role and one that I keep uh, connected to, if you would, and still working with our field services directors. Yeah. So I know I can't imagine having that big of an area and trying to connect and, and making it personal. And it I mean, it, yeah, it's, I think nuts, nuts. That's the best way to say it. So I jumped in. I know it. Yeah. Because we've got, you've gotten to meet so many different people and also different backgrounds, I would assume. And you also have international experience too. So I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me back up. And for a guest, we'd love to hear about your background and how that's, you know, led to what you are currently doing, even though we've kind of touched on that, but we'd love to hear about that experience and how it, because everybody's story is different. That's the part that I love hearing about. I mean, especially for people who have had an HR slant. They yeah, yeah. maybe sometimes fall into it, maybe sometimes not. Yeah, so I, I guess my landing in HR was, it started really early. Um, it actually started in high school. Um, in my wow. senior year, I had the great opportunity to get a co-op job and my co-op job happened to be working in a community college in what was uh-huh. then known as um, workforce development. And okay. in that role, we were working with the unemployed and the underemployed to help them find or get new skills in order to find jobs. And at that time, um, while I'm a Philly girl, I was uh, in Wilmington. That's where I went to high school. And it, Wilmington was like the banking capital of the world back then. And we're talking in like Delaware. something years ago, Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what? There's more than one Wilmington? Kidding. Um, but... <laughs> But in um, but in Wilmington, Delaware, it was the banking capital of the world. You had a bank on every corner right. um, and there were so many jobs. And I feel like I'm really dating myself at this point. But there were tons of opportunities. Now, unfortunately, a lot of those opportunities, technology has taken over. Right. But that was my foray into HR. I started there. I didn't realize that what recruiting was, but that's what we were doing. I didn't realize what talent development was, but that's what we were doing in order to prepare the next level of workers. And while I didn't immediately go into an HR program, I still thought I was going to be an accountant or a paralegal. I know two extremes, Um, but uh, I did eventually decide, you know what, I'm going to go get my degree in human resources and then started my career actually in a hospital HR and then worked up into a travel company and then bigger organizations. You mentioned the retail, you know, worked for Borders Books and Music um, for a number of years um, and uh, then finally made my way into healthcare and into the pharmaceutical industry. That gave me my global experience between Mm. my retail and my pharmaceutical um, experience because I was working with many global teams, um, people, 
There are a lot of people out there who love Borders Books and Music. Some people didn't realize Borders was global. Um, so we did have global teams. And then coming in and working in pharmaceutical, um, working in a business partner role, organizational development, diversity and inclusion across the world, um, you know, was a great opportunity to understand different cultures um, mm -hmm. and really get to know what development means around the world. So that's my big corporate background, right? Um, if you would. Okay, so how how did you uh, were you recruited to Sherm to, or how did you land your role as I would assume field services, and mm -hmm. how did that how did that come about? It, was it because of volunteering with your local chapters or? Yeah, it was absolutely that way. Um, as many of us fall into a local chapter, it's like, hey, I just want to interact with other um, human resources professionals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had that, at that point was working from home. So I was a little lonely um, yeah. in my home office and couldn't connect with um, others. So I joined the Philadelphia chapter was my closest chapter at that point. And it didn't take long before I was voluntold into a committee <laughs> um, and then voluntold into a board role and eventually worked my way up to um, president of that chapter um, in Philadelphia. Um, so yeah, so a great experience there and two, I know the two of you can appreciate you meet so many different people when you're volunteering, you never know who you're interacting with both at, mm -hmm. you know, just from companies and industry perspective, but also, um, at, you know, the Sherm perspective. And I think right. two major connections I made during the time that I was president, one with our field services directors at that point, right. um, who tried to recruit me early on to join Sherm. And I just wasn't in that place, um, and being ready. Um, and the second was, and you hit on the USO and wanting to learn more, but the second was also following my passion around how do I continue to engage in a community that I know pretty well, which mm -hmm. is our military veteran community. So the, the SHRM experience actually allowed me the opportunity to get more involved at a board level, um, not only with SHRM, but at the USO, um, mm -hmm. which ultimately led to a position at the USO. I call it, I took a gap year to decide what I wanted to do when I grew up, when I left corporate, mm -hmm. um, wound up volunteering full-time at the USO, wound up creating my own job at oh, the USO well of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. They didn't have a traditional HR mm -hmm. volunteer administration role. And that particular chapter of the USO, we had over 500 volunteers in addition to just having 10 staff members. So you know the HR pieces, it doesn't matter where you're paid or not paid. Um, yeah. You have HR conversations that need to happen even with volunteer right. um, leaders. So leading that charge from a, how do we recruit? How do we engage? How do we retain um, our volunteers in this case with the USO is what led to that role. But the SHRM, 
part never went away. I was still so involved with SHRM. It was around the time we were launching our, um, the SHRM Foundation actually was launching the work with the veteran community. And I had this moment where all my pieces came together. I was with my SHRM family, SHRM Foundation family. I was working at the USO and I was, you know, still in my passionate spot um, for HR. Um, so, so that's how my worlds came together. And it was after my second year, lots of change was about to happen at the USO. I passionately wanted to move out of the Northeast. Mm. Um, I lived in the Northeast and Michigan, you know, my entire life. And I quite frankly was tired of snow, um, (laughs) and didn't want to have to shovel or drive in snow ever again. Um, so I started my migration South and it just came at the right time that the offer, um, and I could live anywhere as long as I live near an airport. So I chose Atlanta at that point. Why not? Um, and eventually made the migration in the last year to Florida. Okay. So has Florida been the best for you so far? It has. I mean, uh, you were talking about weather earlier, you know, it's, it's consistently 97 here. Um, most <laughs> and days. humid and humid. Um, but I was talking to my mother yesterday who also made the migration and we're not bothered at all. Like yeah. we're just, we go outside. We don't care at this right. point. So right. I think, uh, our blood is now Florida. Um, yes. and, and we're good. I know I was laughing. I was outside yesterday and I think it was 90 and I'm like, Oh, that's fine. You know how you just, your, your body gets used to where you are. And it's been so warm that I was like, I can sit outside. I'm not, oh. No problem. Right. So. And, and when I had the opportunity to go back to cold weather being 61, mm-hmm. I thought I, I was not going to survive. I had on four layers of clothes. Oh yeah. Oh, right. Oh, right. Um, you were talking about uh, global experience and knowing, I, I heard some themes in here of knowing what you're good at and culture. How did you know what you were good at? From do you, Did you, because I just had a, a question, you know, posed to me, like, what do you, what can you talk about for hours? I'm like, I don't know. It's like, because we're in our bodies, we don't know what other people see and what we're, what they see as it's a skill. How did you figure out what your passion, good, goodness, what you brought to the table of your work. I mean, cause you did a bunch of different, different things. Yeah. I, I, I think there were a couple of moments. Um, one I called my Oprah moment, um, which was like my aha moment of, yes, mm-hmm. this is what I, I meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually came in that period I was talking about where my worlds kind of came together between mm-hmm. the USO, SHRM, and, mm-hmm. um, and HR, mm-hmm. which was, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, my mom served 23 years in the military. Okay. Okay. Um, and I often laugh at her and I go, um, how come you never made me <laughs> join um, the military? But it was this moment where I was thinking, you know, there's so many things I didn't serve, but there's so many things I could be doing to support Mm -hmm. those who had served. And I had many friends around me at that point who happened to be serving or happened to be um, spouses of individuals who were serving or had just transitioned out. And we were at a period where we were seeing such 
so much transition um, mm-hmm. from our military and just not a lot of guidance from those who had been, whether in HR or had been in a transition situation and could support. So -hmm. that was one of my aha moments around, Mm -hmm. I'm good at this. Like I am good Mm -hmm. at managing, helping talk through with people, managing transitions Mm -hmm. and how do I help HR people become really good at Mm -hmm. having these conversations in the military community, mm-hmm. because there was the stigmatism mm-hmm. around and maybe a bias about mm-hmm. what a military member could bring to an organization. And mm-hmm. at the same time, it was this, well, what is a military member going to bring? All they do is X, Y, Z and not realizing the number of careers Um, that exist um, in the military. So it was this balance of how do I help the military community? How do I help um, the, um, you know, help HR professionals Mm -hmm. um, really understand that? So that was like aha moment number one. Aha moment number two came with, it's not just our military community. Um, There are so many untapped, as we um, usually call it within our SHRM world, groups that were not necessarily thinking about when we're thinking about opportunities, whether it's development or hiring. So whether it's opportunity youth, whether it's military veterans, whether it's military spouses, whether it's hiring the former incarcerated, there's Mm -hmm. so many opportunities, but you, if you don't have that lived experience, you have to be willing to take a step back Mm -hmm. and understand and seek understanding um, of that particular group. So I think that's really where my passion is. And then having the experience to work globally where, you know, there's that cultural difference that Mm -hmm. you, you have to really appreciate, um, in order to really get to know people. And I think that might be where my passion for formula one really, um, starts to, to flourish because on a global stage, here is a global sport where you've got people from different countries um, mm-hmm. participating. You've got fans from all over the mm-hmm. world. And, and there has to be this appreciation of the differences um, mm-hmm. that exist. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. So, cause I, w- I want to talk about Formula One, but I also want to acknowledge that I had wondered why the USO was so important to you. What was your draw? And then thank you for, for mm-hmm. connecting that dot for me, that it was your mother and, and that your mother had moved. I had, I've seen a picture of your mother. So she's so cute. Um, and um, let's, okay. So that's number one. So yes, let's talk about Formula One, but I also want to talk about the enterprise executive membership. So t- yep. somebody remind us, so which way do you want to go? Do you want to talk about that first or go to Formula One? Cause we can, we can do, I, I, let's Formula One, because I agree with you that there is so much of that. It is, yes, it's global. It is all these things that are just passion. It's passion, passion, passion. And so I think that's why it's a draw to me, but it's also there's stories behind it. You and I, um, so Rob and we, Gloria and I text on, on race weekends and it starts on Friday because they have practice races on Friday. They have practice slash qualifying on Saturday and then the race is Sunday. So the entire weekend we're, 
I mean, and we're new friends. It's been since April. So we're texting each other like, oh my gosh. She has a different different team, well, actually teams, that she follows. And I have to, but you know what the best thing is? Is we can agree to disagree or applaud whomever is showing up. And it is, I've had the best time chatting with Gloria because she's also my, she's my anchor because she knows all the technical stuff too. So it is so fun. So tell us, I mean, we're going to bring this all together, but Gloria and I have had conversations like, how does this relate to HR? How does, how does it relate to HR? We can go in 10 different directions, but I'm going to lean on Gloria to say, which part do you want to talk about of how Formula One, the passion, the, the drive, and all of those things combine and how this just any HR person should be watching and appreciating? What do you think is the overall here, Gloria? That's a big question. It is a big question. <laughs> so I'm leaving it big because we can go down whichever path you want to go. Yeah. Um, so as as I thought about it, I think we could go down. Um, there's definitely a DNI mm -hmm. um, piece um, mm -hmm. to this as it relates to one just the cultural diversity that exists, um, the different cultures and the teams having to, I mean, so many of them have different cultures within their teams, much less within the larger um, sport. And then there's this huge piece around, I think many of us get trapped into when we start talking about diversity, it's very easy to talk about women. It's a lot harder to talk about ethnic diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I've had, you know, that experience working mm -hmm. in organizations that have been European based um, mm -hmm. and having the same challenge with our European leaders. So, um, so that's another, you know, path yeah. of, you know, this women in motorsport um, versus, you know, having more people of color, more black right. or right. Asian Right um, in uh, the motorsport, so I think those are two big ones. So, so uh, Formula One, and they, and, it, and I think like a lot of sports, they're trying to. Yes, it becomes. I, I say, I'm not trying to say the word political, but they have taken themes and saying we have this platform, and it is our opportunity to to address it. And so before races for the past few years, they had the, the theme of we, we race as one and they have. So Lewis Hamilton is is a um, black race, probably the best. I mean, and I'm going to give it to you. This is your person you like. Honestly, a unbelievable, unbelievable um, athlete. Um, and then they also have a, uh, one. Uh, is he Japan? Is uh, they have a Japanese from Japanese yeah. Japan, and then Jogoi uh, Wanyu. He's from uh, China, and so they are. It, it is not only this cookie cutter, if you will, of persons who are in this. I mean, they are from different cultures. There's, you know, a, a Mexican driver, um, someone from the Netherlands, whom I like, from Britain, you know, from Spain. So they are having this mishmash of all of this and throwing it into this one little thing. There's only 20 drivers, 20 drivers. 
that participate in this. So I am amazed that they get to have the platform to do this. I also, one thing that happened this past weekend is Formula One also posted about there was disrespect in from fans, from fans. I mean, ugly things said, there are persons that are receiving death threats, there's this and that, and they are put, using that platform, which I think in turn helps us the public stop and think and potentially do different. And they are making that comment about how social media is, you know, being able to hide behind something and maybe, and I mean, granted, some of those things happened in, in the, um, in the stands, but they had this opportunity to, to say, we're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, what an amazing. Yeah. I mean, wow. absolutely. that's why I say it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You have to to give credit for the work that they collectively are doing. And, and even, you know, you mentioned Lewis Hamilton. If we think back to 2020 and what the world was going through in mm -hmm. 2020, outside of the pandemic, it was that second wave, right. which was also the conversations that started Black Lives Matter after the death of George Floyd. Right. Um, and here's a sport that took on the, the initiative to start having conversations and we race as one right. and now moving it into action, which right. you see in a lot of teams, um, Mercedes being one, Aston Martin being another one who has had some opportunities that have popped up recently, mm -hmm. but, you know, um, McLaren, like you could go on, they're all having conversations and trying to do more because Lewis and Yuki and, and Joe are one of, and I'll add yeah. Checo to that as a Mexican, yeah. yes. one of like, um, and why is that? Um, in a sport. And when you look at kind of that feeder pool to F1, F2, F3, there's still not the diversity um, that is needed um, to create the next Lewis Hamilton or the next Yuki Sonoda or whoever. And then there's these other opportunities, like there's the, the women, right? Yep, yep. Um, and then there's also and, and we may or may not know at this point, but is there an openly gay driver? Um, right, and you right. think about the work that um, Sebastian Vettel, yeah. you know, has done right. to give platform, as has Lewis, to kind yeah. of this equity conversation in that regard um, right. as well. So, and then fast forward to what you were talking about, this drive it out campaign that they started. And some of that was because, again, we get real passionate about this and I, to your point, like we have differences of an opinion, but if Max Verstappen wins, I'm not going to totally stop talking to you when, <laughs> you know, if he wins, if, because it's not statistically known yet, but if he wins the championship this year, it's going to be fair fight, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and we're not going to argue about it. I'm not going to stop accepting your texts or requests or what right. have you, but there is this, this, I don't know what it is. It's this simmering that unfortunately we're feeling in many parts. And it's not just in the formula one community that we're feeling in communities mm -hmm. um, where it's not okay 
to disagree. And if I don't like something, I'm taking it to this extreme that I am bullying or I am making inappropriate remarks to you or um, there were burning of jerseys this weekend, I heard. And so it's just here's an opportunity where we can come together. And to your point, you know, the, the sport coming out and saying, we're not having it. And, and I don't know if you saw this on Friday or Thursday or Friday, when that campaign started, every single team posted, reposted that campaign. So it Mm -hmm. shows their commitment to we're in this together, very similar to what they did a couple of years ago. Right. So, and you keep talking about um, the women aspect of it too. And, and I know you want to go down a different direction, but I just want to point one thing out that um, I have been very impressed with whenever you, whenever I watch, you do see females that are either an, an engineer, um, someone on the, the pit crew, um, but then you also have women drivers. But this weekend, Max Verstappen, who is the driver I like, he gave credit to his um, strategy engineer, who he said, if it wasn't for her, her, we would not have won for her. So giving this broader view, and and there is a women's series of racing, and I know this is where you like to, to have the conversation too. So I like Jamie Chadwick. Who do you like? <laughs> I like Jamie too. I I do. Um, But I want to go back to your comment because absolutely you got to give Max credit for that one. And you and I recall it was international HR weekend. Yes. Red Bull was on the podium that weekend. And for you non F1 fans, it's part of the podium ceremony. When you have your first, second and third drivers on the podium, the winning driver's team can bring someone up. Um, to accept the constructors um, trophy. And that weekend they brought up their HR, their head of HR um, Mm -hmm. for Red Bull Racing Technology, who was a woman um, (laughs) uh, who they brought up. So I I absolutely, I heard that um, when um, he said it and I was like, good luck for Red Bull, for Christian, Um, and the team for definitely putting, um, women in key roles, because as I sit here and wear my Ferrari red today, you know, (laughs) there's some opportunity in another team, um, Mm -hmm. to have a different strategist. Right, 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 right. So see, Rob, are you bored with any of this yet? Are you just soaking it? No, it's soaking it all in. It's very fascinating. I'm learning threads. I, I just thought people got behind cars and went around the track. There's so much more to it, right? Oh, there's so much more. <laughs> so much more. Yes, so much more. We can talk about the G's and, and then you'll be like, what? Uh, right. So right. DRS, sausage curbs. Yes. All of it. All, that. all, that. <laughs> all of it. Yeah. We know the lingo. <laughs> yeah. But but on your point about the women's series. So I guess my question, and I saw this post recently, um, because I do follow, you know, a couple of threads, females in motorsport. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a dear friend who is obsessed with motorsport um, and getting more women. Um, she's mentoring. She's actually a, a military veteran herself, getting more women into motorsport. Um, but 
yeah, we have the W series. And why? Why do we have the W series? Well, one, it's all women, which is great. But why can't the women participate in the other series? And we do have one, we've had one or two um, drivers, at least in, if you think of the F1, F2, F3 series, um, you've had one F1 test driver who was Mm -hmm. a woman happens Mm -hmm. to be the wife of our, um, Mercedes's, uh, CEO and team principal, Toto Wolf, Susie Wolf, Mm -hmm. um, who also owns a team. Um, she was a test driver for Williams. Um, and then you have, um, uh, Tatiana Caldron, who I believe is from Brazil, um, who has driven in F2. Um, but that's, that's all you have. And then you have the women's series. And to your point, you've got fantastic women, Mm -hmm. um, who are doing amazing, um, in that series, but how long is it going to be before Jamie gets an opportunity in F3 or F2, or does it ever happen as strong as a driver, um, as she is. So, you know, it's a huge, um, opportunity. Um, there's a woman who is an F1 or Sky Sports commentator, Naomi Shift, who was a driver. Um, also I believe she's biracial as well, but, um, you know, she talks about kind of the, the struggle, Um, it was to be a woman in the sport and just the lack of respect that's given. You know, you just uh, uh, prompted something for me. I listened to a podcast with um, Abby Wambach and she was talking about, you know, just making the comment of she was in a man's sport and kind of doing the man, you know, just like the good, her term was good old boys club. But then also having to realize I have an opportunity here to maybe have the conversations differently, do this differently rather than. So, I mean, that's the, I would say that balance of what you're playing, you know, someone who's in that role of, you know, do, do I do more of this? Do I do less of this? Does it give me the opportunity? Does it not give me the opportunity? So, you know, it's, that's, yeah. So for those persons who have stepped into that world, it's, it's, it is shaking it up of how persons who have, been in it, what they do and how they do it differently. So that's a very kind of big comment, but. Yeah. And it's, it's where you take it, right? Like, so, you know, you look at, here's your platform. How Mm -hmm. do I continue to support others? And I, I think it's no different than employees in organization, any organization, Right. right? So Um, for many years, if I think about my own personal experience, like, yes, I have, you know, these great opportunities, having been in HR, having been in a number of companies, but in most cases at a director level, I may have been the only one that was of color in that role. So Mm -hmm. for HR, you know, Typically, we have more women than we have men. Usually, Rob is the one that's, you know, considered the minority on some of these teams. But from a person of color, whether it's Black or Asian or Hispanic, it's less and less. So I have to think about how I use my platform to make sure that there are more people of color 
um, that are given these opportunities to come into whether HR manager, directors, you know, global um, opportunities and continue to to mentor um, those. And I think that's the fascination and where, you know, if I think about my passion for the sport and how I can then apply that to what I do on a a day-to-day basis, like where's my opportunity um, to do some of what, you know, many of them are trying to do with their platforms. Okay. This is just a generic question, but why, why do you like Formula One so much? (laughs) So I I have to say it was, it, it, you know, many of us had our 2020, what did we do because of COVID right. uh, moment? Um, so my other half, um, he was a Formula One fan prior to 2020. He was getting up in the middle of the night and early in the morning um, watching races. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, right. And I remember his disappointment in 2020 when he was up in the middle of the night to watch the Australian Grand Prix on, I guess it would have been March 14th or 15th and it got canceled. Right. Um, And I remember him like kind of going like, oh, well, I guess, you know, (laughs) you know, just like mad, but at the same time, like, oh, well, the world's shutting down at this point. Right. Um, And I paid it like no real attention because I'm like, yeah, that's your thing. That's what you do. Um, And then fast forward to, I guess it was July when they restarted um, for 2020. And once again, and not as early in the morning, but they were restarting the race. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here and watch it with you. And it's not because I hadn't watched motorsport before. Like I've watched NASCAR. I've been the NASCAR races. I think they're slow compared to formula one. Um, uh, you know, I had watched IndyCar and quite frankly, I had watched who would not want to watch the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, I had watched the Monaco Grand Prix, but really wasn't as into it. So I watched it with him and then it became our weekend thing. Um, as the season, um, started to get back in high gear. And then I just started asking him questions. He's very technical. Um, that's his background. So he is all in to all the engineering pieces. So I had to get on YouTube to keep up with, you know, so I wasn't completely like ruining the whole race for him. Like, okay, what does that mean? Well, why did they do that? So I was trying to read and then I became obsessed. Um, and right. then finally he said to me, you should probably watch this Netflix thing, Drive to Survive. So I watched, I binged watch Drive of to course. Survive. And then it became these stories. So to Rob's point around, I thought they were just racing the car around. <laughs> um, it, it did just come down to, okay, behind all of this, right? there are all these stories. There are all these employees Um, and you know, whether there were ER issues, whether there were mental health issues, whether there was just recruitment. If you think about the silly season, which AKA is when the driver market opens up, um, you know, it was all of this stuff that you could immediately apply, um, to, okay, HR stuff. And then I just start to use the language in things that I do. I, I had a coach who also Formula One fan, um, <laughs> who, when we were talking through prioritizing in my new job, we talked about my warm-up lap in the morning. Like, what do I need to do in the morning mm. to get focused for the day? I'm like, it's my warm-up lap. And then because I need to prioritize at the end of the day, 
So I'm not working until nine, 10 o'clock at night. When you're in a new job, you want right. to do that. He's like, what's your cool down lap? Like, what are you doing in yeah. your cool down lap? And um, so we, we often talk that way. Um, right. And, and it's, that's really what got me into it was just, just applying it to my day to day. You just reminded me of something of one thing that I, I respect and very much, and I know that this, I mean, this podcast will be termed Formula One, but one thing that I um, absolutely just admire is these are most of the drivers. I mean, there's some, I say older, but they're mainly early twenties. A lot of the drivers are early twenties and they have all this responsibility on their back. But one thing that, you see is they have to be, I mean, 100% honest. They have to be honest in that car and what's happening. And that part is just amazing to me because they cannot sugarcoat it at all. Because what happens is, hey, I made a mistake or I wrecked or I this or that, or even if it's not, I say not their fault, maybe it's something technically within the car, they have to communicate it. You cannot kind of you know, go under the radar. Well, I'm not going to tell you about this one thing. And that part to me is so important, like in work, in life, in whatever, you have to be honest with what's happening so that you can get better, do better, make that next step to keep moving forward. Okay. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> no, well, but I think you bring up a really good point because, you know, the average driver is probably 24 years old. Mm-hmm. and the amount of responsibility on a 24-year-old right. um, is is huge. So um, th- I, I don't think people can appreciate um, that, you know, without digging in. Like, all you see is these guys driving around, but you don't appreciate, because, you know, there's also this conversation, are drivers really athletes? Mm-hmm. Um and the prep that they have to do. And it's not just the physical prep, but you have to, when you're driving 175 to 200 plus miles an hour, you need to trust your- For an hour and a half? For an hour and a half, yeah, or longer. Um, You need to trust your engineer. You need to trust your crew. And to your point about honesty, you need to be able to say, this isn't working and here's why. but yeah, no, it's a huge responsibility to put on very young um, professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we've, we've gone down the rabbit hole of Formula One. And so for those of you who have not ever been on there, go watch, go do all the things because obviously Gloria and I have this passion. I love it that this was what brought us together and we have great conversations on the weekends about what's going on and through the week, really. Yeah. Um, but let's switch gears because I want to hear about, and we want to hear about the enterprise and executive membership for SHRM because this is a newer, right, newer piece to SHRM of what's being um, provided. Um, tell us about this program and what, um, it, if there are persons who um, fit this level, what are some benefits? Tell us about it. 
Sure. So, um, so I have two parts of my job. Um, so the first part is uh, Sherm's executive network. So our Sherm executive network launched last year. So we are about one year old at this point. And this was an opportunity to create a community um, for our CHRO level professionals. So the opportunity is to create more of a, um, a community to uh, share peer-to-peer experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, because as many of you know, if you're in a CHR role, it can be a little lonely. Um, and having an opportunity to connect with your peers. Um, in addition to that, we provide curated content um, for the CHRO level professional and also give them um, access to research, benchmarking, and other mm-hmm. pieces that really um, help them to not only develop their HR team, but to really drive their business. So some of the benefits include, um, again, we offer the peer-to-peer network, which is uh, something called EN Assembly, um, where your peer, you're put together with eight to 10 of your peers um, to have, you know, in-depth conversations um, around what is happening in your world and, and where do you need some advice. Um, at annual conference uh, this past year, and obviously next year as we go to Vegas uh, for annual conference, um, we have curated content. So it, their own track for the mm-hmm. um, executive network. Um, and also we do a CHRO, if you would, summit um, that is being offered in October of this year. It is called our Visionary Summit. Um, and our focus this year is on mental health and belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a topic that um, our executives are faced with every day in managing um, their um, organization. So uh, it's a super opportunity, um, again, for the top top HR professional in organizations. And we usually look at organizations um, where it is over 250 for that um, membership. The enterprise side of my job is, so if you focused on the, the CHRO and their development, the second part of that is what the CHRO is able to provide for their HR team. So the enterprise solution Um, is really something that um, we talk to our CHROs about is, do you want to provide a membership for your entire HR team? And in addition to providing their membership, which many organizations do, are there other solutions that we can help you with? So it could be, I want to get my entire team certified. I want to make sure my people managers take the people management qualification. Um, It could be, I want to provide or supplement my training and development budget by offering some of the education seminars to my employees. So both of these, if you would, are real customized um, solutions um, for our heads of HR, not only for themselves, um, but for the um, organization as well. So if anyone's interested um, in the uh, executive network, you can definitely go to sherm.org um, slash executive and same for enterprise solutions at sherm.org slash enterprise solutions. Okay. So I think the whole executive network part is um, needed, needed. I mean, obviously, because I, I think about 
um, you have you know the term of stating the higher you up the uh, higher a person is in a, in a organization the less they hear from the bottom so so having being able to have that conversation with other persons to say what's happening in your world how are you tackling it? I mean it goes with any role I mean this is why we have this is why we have volunteer or groups or yeah. you know all these things to to bounce ideas so well done um, what do you see right now that's a must address issue in HR right now Big question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and maybe it's it's because of where my lens is um, right now, and some of the conversations that I'm having with our our CHROs and with you know others of our sure members. This topic of mental health um, and the impact that the last two years have had. Um, on our workforce. And it's not just our current workforce. It's also this piece. I have many friends who are teachers. Yeah. Um, it's our yes. future workforce yes. um, as well. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm happy that people are more open and we're seeing, you know, more of a focus on people having these conversations about employee well-being. Um, and what we need to do to help our employee. But quite frankly, what the pandemic did was we often talked about work-life balance and we were starting to talk about work-life integration and the pandemic highlighted work-life integration. Mm -hmm. um, it also highlighted the employer's opportunity and it's, it's not to completely make an employee share everything that's happening right. in the world, right. but for an employer to be more open to listening and seeing some of the opportunities that exist um, to really support an employee beyond here's the EAP number, but also how can I, how can I think differently about what I'm doing as a leader and how that's impacting my team. Mm -hmm. um, and when I do see signs that someone is off, that someone is disengaged, that they're, you know, not performing at the level they have in the past to pause and have that conversation around, you know, tell me, tell me what's happening. Tell right. me what's going on, you know, in right. a way that makes that employee feel like, you really care right. um, about them. So it's this whole mental health. And then that goes a long way because it starts to talk, really make people feel like I'm valued. I feel um, like I belong, um, which is the whole second part of this whole, I would say is a priority is the sense of belonging. How do we make people feel like you do belong um, in your organizations? And every leader is not wired to have those conversations yeah. um, and to take a step back and do it. Right. But we have, we have a, a moment in time where we need to do it because we see that, you know, I remember looking at the statistics recently around, you know, how many employers are looking for a new you know, opportunities. Like we've gone through the great resignation. We've talked about the talent tsunami, but that number is still high around employees who are looking for new opportunities. And why are they looking? It's because of this 
I don't feel like my employer appreciates my situation where I am at right. this point, willing to right. work with me um, with what I'm going through. So I, I do think that's an opportunity because we're going to continue to have the talent shortages. So we need to be really thinking about how we retain our our employees. I mean, if you look at the service industry, you know, some people, my Starbucks fans, um, complain that their local Starbucks closes early or they don't have people. And I'm like, it's because we need to be taking care of our people. Right. We need to be thinking about what they need. Otherwise, we're going to have services that aren't available. Yeah. So, Gloria, uh, give us some examples. Are you seeing anything early in these stages where people are actually having those conversations? What does that look like? What are some of the examples of that? Or, or what have the companies have done that you can speak to about providing that sense of belonging? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think a couple of things. Um, I have seen organizations, you know, train their people managers on how to have conversations with their employees that are not just what have you done for me lately conversations um, or what deadlines are due, but really to step back and pause um, and, and have a dialogue to ask people how they're doing, um, but train managers up to be able to do that. And at the same time, train managers to see the signs of when your employee is disengaged. So did your optimist go to a pessimist all of a sudden? Like, did their attitude change? Um, and to be able to have those conversations. Um, the other um, big thing I've seen organizations do um, outside of training um, their people managers is really looking at their um, policies around flexibility and defining what flexibility means. Flexibility isn't just about, oh, I get to work from home. It's remote work. Um, they're also looking at, you know, are there opportunities again? And I remember doing this when I worked in a corporate job to do flex kind of core hours, flex hour um, scheduling where if you do have people physically coming to an office or even if they're remote, allowing that core things happen between 10 and two, that's maybe when you do your primary meetings, um, but getting back to how you manage your time around that, whether it's, I need to handle caretaking responsibilities because we do have an increase in um, workers who are now having to care for older parents um, mm -hmm. or just relatives. Um, or we have parents who obviously might have childcare, um, whether it's getting kids to school, getting kids into aftercare, whatever. So giving that flexibility um, mm -hmm. to be able to do that where when we were all home, many of us were home, we had a little bit of that flexibility. Now that we're coming back into the office, it's starting to stress workers out thinking about how do I handle my responsibilities? So employers who are starting to emphasize, let's go back to like this core hour structure and you've got flexibility on the other end of that to do um, what you need to do. Those are a couple um, of examples that I've seen that quite frankly are, are starting to work um, pretty well. You just gave a whole bunch of stuff in that very short comment. Like I, I'm the core structure, brilliant. 
thank you for teaching us one thing. I mean, as far as as something that could be applied to lots of people's mm -hmm. worlds, because that is where I think a lot, or to me, I'm going to back up and say, I, it seems that there are a lot of groups who either say you're either going to be working remotely or you're working at, in the office, but if you're in the office, you're there all day mm -hmm. and, and you're giving a different solution or throwing out a different solution of, okay, well, maybe that works differently, but you, you know that your meetings are during this time frame. So if you need, if you're dropping your kids off at school and you may not get to the office until nine, that's okay. You're still available to have these meetings within this time frame. Mm -hmm. So good stuff there. And you talked about the mental health and teachers. And I go back to, I'd had conversations with teachers stating that there were ch children who were still doing the same thing that they would have done in the two grades prior their 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 um behavior so i don't know how to say that differently but like not sitting still or you know just keeping their hands to themselves or whatever and it's like oh you're in ninth grade you shouldn't be doing that you're you know that's something that a seventh grader would have done you know i mean i'm generalizing but those are the comments that were made because their world did stop they weren't in a classroom they weren't having that behavioral change in order to 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 walk through that so all Primo, good stuff. Okay, we have talked a very long time for you with you, and I am so pleased and thankful that um, we got to chat about F1. We got to talk about HR. We got to talk about SHARM. We got to talk about the executive uh, membership with SHARM. And we still have, we round out every single conversation with end questions. So those were not sent to you. So off the cuff, Miss Gloria. Okay. Um, just going to get your best and brightest answers. Mm -hmm. In the past year, what has been a revelation to you about yourself? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a, that's a great question. Revelation about myself. Um, I'm not timed on these answers, am I? Uh, so let's see. Uh, I would think um, I think the the biggest revelation I've had is um, that, and and maybe I knew this before, and it was reinforced. Is that cheating? Mm -hmm. nope. um, okay. So I, I think my biggest revelation I've had in the last six months, nine months or so is I, I do like to build, um, things. Um, so I guess it ties back to my new role with the executive network. You know, I mentioned it's a year old. Um, and when I moved into this role, um, and we still are a little bit, um, you know, we're still in building mode. We're still in refining mode, um, of many things. Um, I had to build a team, um, to support our executive network, build relationships within the organization to support it. So I think this job reinforced for me that building is what gets me excited. I, I agreed 100%. All right. What mantra or motto do you use for yourself and you like to share with others? <laughs> Um, it's, it's pretty much the, the GSD one. Can I say that on the podcast? Go ahead. 
Bring it. Um, yeah. Get shit done. Yes. A hundred percent. And being in HR, we've never heard any of those words. Yeah, never, <laughs> never. But, you know, we we tend to get in this analysis paralysis mode. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I am a big, can we just get it done? Like, yeah, just, yeah. Let's just move. It and move. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's move the rock up the mountain. Let's just, let's keep mm -hmm. going, the boulder. All right. Uh, copying from Brene Brown's podcast. And she asked this, and we're asking you, what do most people get wrong about you? Hmm. Um, well, I don't think anyone would think I was a Formula One fan. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. That. Yeah. I don't think anyone thinks I'm a Formula One fan. That would be number one. Um, or that I, I, I'm technical people would get that wrong about me. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I love it that, uh, I, I love that you are my formula one friend because you send me information that I don't know. So I'm very <laughs> appreciative of this part. All right. What recent TV show have you been obsessed with? Oh, scared to say. Um, so it's Netflix. Um, and I'm going to bully my boyfriend for this, which is very out of character for him as well. Um, all American. Oh, okay. I haven't watched it, but I know what you're talking about. Okay. So for those of my generation, it's, it's, it's 90210, um, Beverly Hills 90210, but with a football star. Um, oh. Cause at one point I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, that's the new peach pit. Oh, oh. that's Brenda. Okay. Oh, okay. that's Brenda. Mm, yeah, okay. so it, it, for 90210 fans, um, yeah, All American is just a different version um, with uh, a football team, and it's and it's Beverly, by the way, Beverly and Crenshaw. So, okay, so yeah, I have one and, more season. <laughs> and then, and you watch this because of your because of your boyfriend? Yeah, like he. Um, he had this moment and, and this it's not technical, right? This is so out of character, which is yeah. why I was just, I was like, what are you dumbfounded doing? a little bit by it? <laughs> but he was sitting on the couch one night because it just is not what he watches. Like, you know, yeah. obviously we watch a lot of F1. Um, yeah. We're the other, uh, we're watching Outlander right now. That's the other thing. And, yeah. and that was after watching, you know, a lot of other random Netflix shows that said, he was sitting there by himself, like watching. And I'm like, what is in it? Who is in it? And then I start watching like episodes and you can kind of keep up because it's, you know, yeah. it's teenage kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I was shocked that he was watching it. And then I was mad because he was done. And I was like, I, I don't know what happened between season one and season four. So that's my thing. When we're not watching something together, I watch All American. <laughs> <laughs> Spectacular. Um, besides Honest HR Podcast, what book or podcast do you recommend to others as must read or listen? Does it have to be HR related? No, it can be anything. It be All right. Anything so, uh, the, the podcast that I am obsessed with and I, I do um, listen to it um, every week is it, it is an F1 podcast. So. Which one? It's beyond the grid. Okay. 
Yeah, because I was listening to another one and I did not love it. And F1 Nation? Yeah. Which one has pinks on it? Pinks and whatever. They're kind of surly. So. Yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah, anyway. but yeah. Beyond the okay. grid. Okay, Beyond <laughs> the grid. Got it. Um, lastly, how can people connect with you? Miss Gloria Sinclair Miller. <laughs> So absolutely. People can connect with me um, on LinkedIn. So just check out my LinkedIn profile. It's Gloria Sinclair Miller. Um, and happy to answer any questions. If people want to email me directly, it's Gloria.SinclairMiller, G-L-O-R-I-A-S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R-M-I-L-L-E-R, long name, <laughs> at <laughs> Sherm.org. There you go. Get to Sherm.org in. All right. Well, this has been a blast. Rob, Sarah. what have you learned with Miss Gloria Sinclair Miller? Uh, I've learned a lot of Formula One. That's fantastic. <laughs> Looking forward to getting into there. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the CHRO stuff, the mental health, all that is um, top of mind for sure, especially in the space that I'm dealing with right now and working in that uh, mm. definitely topical. So uh, very good. Very yeah. good podcast. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. So we'll can we'll have a number two the next time we'll have some other stuff to right. discuss. Yeah. <laughs> and she's in. So thank you, Gloria. <laughs> thank you, Rob. This was a blast. And actually this warmed my heart because I, I got to marry two, two of my passions, HR and Formula One. So it's a win-win all around. So Gloria, you get to be our first podcast back from whenever we've had our summer siesta. So dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yay. Yay. All right. Well, thank you so much. And until next time. Bye. Bye.